You're listening to Colored Commentary, a Threaded podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Threaded and the ways to support and donate to this organization, check out wearethreaded.org. Now, here's the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Colored Commentary. I can't even say it when I get in here. Colored Commentary, colorful conversations by colorful people about Christianity, culture, and race. I am your mumbling host, uh, Marcus Lloyd. And with me, as always, is... Wait a minute. I, know, I thought you were about to I say just, something else. No, no. Are you, were you about to go Samuel Jackson? I am your... <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounded was like that, for a minute. Is that what like, I was going to go? Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait, we didn't, Sorry. We took a whole Sorry, it's a whole nother... Turn. No, we have Christianity, culture, but and, you didn't and do race. It, so. I didn't do it. So welcome, Anthony. Antoine, I'm glad you're in here in the house working with us. How you doing today, oh, man? You all gosh. right? I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay. You okay? <laughs> yes. Antoine and I'm I are having right. a conversation about the way he describes <laughs> things that are not helpful. So if Antoine really likes something, if something is good, if there's no, no problems with it, then he says it's okay. And that's not helpful to anybody who's close to him in his life. Uh, myself included on that. <laughs> I know it. And they, and I've been, people been telling me about that for years that I need to, it, they're looking for good or this, you know, it's awesome or it's great. Yeah. You know, something and that gives exactly, a sense that it's, it's exactly yeah. right. What I'm saying is there are no problems, but I'm not like evaluating how great it yeah, is, how you, good it is. You got kind of a and glass half empty sort of scenario going there as opposed to the glass. I half do. Full. I don't know why it is. I was telling them, I, we were talking earlier and I was like, man, I don't know why good takes a takes a it takes something it's hard to, get to out. say good which means if i do say something is good or or great then i really really like that thing yeah and which you know which help which i think is a helpful aspect about being in a relationship with you i mean i i don't know if i like everything but i have been with those people who everything is great and so you just never can trust them you know what i mean i have a friend like right every restaurant like when he's like hey we're gonna go to this restaurant man it's so good like and and for the first like two i was like great okay cool we're going to great but every single restaurant is is amazing and what i've realized is that at these restaurants he's been there and he has found something there that he really likes and so therefore the restaurant is good that that it's it's basically he just found something he likes there. That's all. It he is. just got that one thing. That got the he's one thing on. because yeah. I've had terrible things. I'm like, no, this restaurant ain't no good. But he found the thing that he likes. So I don't trust him when he tells me anything is good. Is. If he's telling me a movie's good, I don't trust it. But yes, when when you're like when I'm like, hey man, I'm gonna go see X Y Z tonight. What do you think? If you say it's okay, that means there's no problems. But if you're like, hey, it's good. I'm like, oh, it must be good then. Like, it must be right. really At good. At least for me. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And again, we, yeah. we don't always like the same movies. I mean, we went and saw, well, what did we saw? What did we see recently? That, we saw Thor and we right. both thought it was, <laughs> let's just say mismanaged. See, how are you going to, mismanaged is so underselling. <laughs> see, this is what I'm talking about. You are not helping the listeners out. You're like that does not help me decide no. one way or the other. No. I feel like they. I feel like it was a. There's a valiant concept oh underneath it all that 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 they just didn't execute. But then again, you you go into the thing where you say, "Well, were they really trying to execute that?" And then that's when you say, "Well, maybe they weren't trying to execute it. Maybe they just." Maybe they did execute what they wanted, and that is just terrible. I don't know. I don't know. But, I, while, while we're watching the movie, I wanted to execute myself. That's how bad you it like, was. I'm I'm, I was, I, yeah. you know, it's one of those movies. I don't know if you do this in movies, but like, I I take like mental or I do like mental check ins 
while I'm going through the movie and kind of going, what do I think about this thus far? You know what I mean? Like every probably 30 yeah. minutes, I'll just kind of go, how am I feeling about this movie? And I kept checking in and it kept checking in and I kept going, this movie better get good at some point because, and then it got to the point where, you know, you get over the halfway mark. I was every once in a while I hear the, I'd hear the sigh. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that, that was my mental like, check. Okay. So yeah. what, are, what are we, what are we doing right now though? What, what, what are we exactly, doing? Really? Exactly. And about, you know, yeah. once you get to the halfway mark, like if you're checking in and you're still waiting for something to happen, that's going to be good. You're like, this movie is no good. And then, and then at that that's point, no the movie can do no right. You know what I mean? It doesn't even matter because, right. because you've been, but because you've wasted an hour and a half already, you've wasted an hour and a half of my time. Yeah. And if I got to wait till the last 15 minutes for a movie to get good, like I'm not calling that a good movie. They didn't, they, it is mismanaged yeah. in that sense. Right. So, right. Right. But, and, and, but you and I feel differently about, Thor Ragnarok because Correct. I was yeah. that way right. in the first 15 minutes. Right. The first 15 minutes I knew I was not going to enjoy myself. Which is ridiculous. This is where this is going. It's ridiculous. Right. And 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 there's there's so many people who disagree with me with yes, that. They should. But yes. I but I knew in 15 minutes I'm like, oh, it's one of these movies. And I thought, oh, here we go. So, and it's so crazy was, that we have this conversation. So, that is was, literally the only I Thor asleep. movie. I fall asleep at the same place every time in that movie. I think there's a spot in the movie I still haven't seen because I, I, I fall asleep. Every time it's on, I fall asleep at the same place. Are you eating Chinese food when you're doing this? Is it, are you turkey or something? Like, is there MSGs in your food? I don't know what's going on, man, but... I don't, I don't know that I've even seen the whole movie. Well, see, like, look, you, you can't even what? make a, an, an intelligent sort of uh, response about it. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, it, To me, it's anyway. the only Thor movie that I can watch. I like it's it's the it's yeah. it's what redeemed Thor because I was done after whatever I don't even I don't even You're mention I don't even mention the second movie by name like it doesn't even it's it's mm. it's like Voldemort to me like I can't even mention it under under understandable yeah yeah and so after the first that one I has just, a charm to it now to, correct it didn't have it then right exactly but um and this yeah. one was just I, it was straight Dookie Ooh. it was so bad we both walked out and <laughs> he said like, I, I couldn't do. I can't. Okay, I can't even. Go. I'm mad that I have memories of that movie. Like I'm just angry that at some that at some <laughs> point, like every time I saw I out. saw Natalie Portman, I, for whatever reason I don't know why, but I was I was I was watching Zoolander. Like it was on, and I was watching it, and Natalie Portman makes like a cameo amongst other people, and all mm -hmm. I could think, and it made me think about that, Thor at again. Yeah, absolutely, because I was like, crud, now it made me think about Thor again. So uh, anyway. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. I don't even know what we're here to talk about. Uh, it today is is kind of a it's kind of a grab bag day. Um, you know, we have uh, you just got us two today. Yeah, that's it. That's fine. They're, they're, it's, it's us two, but the audience has given us they have given us things. Oh, before you know, before we get into um, sort of this these questions, um, we we kind of mentioned this on our last podcast with uh, with Dorina. Right, but uh, we need the people to know that uh, that Threaded is now partnering with Mosaic Global Network on their Mosaic Conference this year, the 2022 Mosaic Conference. We are coming alongside with them as a as a partner to create their virtual conference. Right, Antoine? I mean, this is going to be this is yeah. a big deal. I mean, it's a match made in heaven. 
Like literally a multi ethnic uh, heaven. It's a is diverse it, it, heaven. It's a it's a heaven with all tribes, tongues, on the nose. and nations uh, on earth on as it is in say. heaven. I'm just I'm just putting on all the stuff as it. But but no, like mosaics has been in the space of trying to uh, ferment diversity in the body of Christ uh, from varying levels for years. Yeah, and um, and so they're. I think Marcus has been to some of their conferences in the mm-hmm. past, and I think I went to one a, a good while back. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just a privilege for us to to be able to uh, to partner with them in this kind of way, and to bring it to you guys because we get we get there's a lot of fun surprises yeah. I think uh, that you're going to learn about as things firm up. Uh, but I guess we can tell them about the first the the big not. I guess is this the big news? The I, don't know. I guess the... it's news for them because okay. it saves them money. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're like, which one are you going to talk about? Yeah, yeah. there's the one that saves the, the saves people the money. people money. It's big. It is. It is definitely <laughs> big news because I know there's a lot of folks in this in this space. You know, if you're talking about multi ethnic church, you're talking about multicultural church. If you're talking about justice, if you're talking about the 21st century church and what it's going to take, then then everybody knows you're going to mosaic, and that's mosaic with an X, right? So I don't want to get people like you know, with a C like it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, uh, yeah. Mosaicsconference.com with an X. That's right. M O S M O S A I X conference.com. That's right. And, uh, and so when you come, if there's a, the in-person version, we want people definitely, if you're, you know, our fans and you're here in Dallas where we're located or close and you can drive there, that's going to be obviously, you know, people are starting to do more in-conference stuff. You get uh real face-to-face kind of things and, and, and engagements, uh, if you want to come to that conference, if you're buying your ticket now, you can't tell everybody. No, you know what? You can't tell everybody this. Now I think about it. If you're buying your ticket, when it asks you for your promo code code, put in threaded. I know it's really complicated. Threaded is what powers color commentary. It right? It's real complicated. Threaded T H R E A D E D. Put in threaded and that'll give you 20% off your in person ticket. So that's a great thing. We're glad we can come in and be a, an affiliate with them on that and be able to give you the listeners, those who are listening, uh, those who are part of our ecos, ecosphere. Is that, is that the right word to say? The ecosystem. That's what it is. I was kind of doing like a biosphere <laughs> and ecosystem collab. Something. Yeah. <laughs> the ecosystem put in threaded and you can get a discount to go to the conference. And those who are not here locally, definitely if you can get to the conference, that's going to be the best. But I know that many people, are also looking like, I want to get involved. I want to engage. Well, we are putting together the virtual conference. And I'm going to tell you, uh, I know what you think you expect from a virtual conference, but this is going to be so much more. Uh, let me, I'm just going to give a little significant. Text. Yeah. Just different even in the way we've done ours in the past. Absolutely. A bit. Like we're uh, super excited. We're like ratcheting up uh, really trying to take care of the user experience yeah. so that you feel like you actually are there. Um, are attending an event as opposed to just sitting there looking at a face on a screen. That's right. Talk to you, which there'll be a good number of that, yeah. but there'll be so much more than that. <laughs> That's right. If, if one little thing I know we can talk about is you will be hearing Antoine and I will be hosting that live event with probably some others as well. So there's going to be some opportunity for engagement, some banter, uh, you know, fun before and after during uh, certain sessions, uh, some interviews with some folks who are speaking. It's going to be a great time. And again, we're firming it all up. Keep on, uh, keep checking it out at mosaicsconference.com. Get your tickets there. Use your promo code threaded. 
uh, and keep checking in with us here at Color Commentary as we tell you and continue to unfold uh, more and more what the event looks like. So we're excited about that. So yeah, yeah. at at the time of this recording, the early bird tickets are still there. So it's that you you you'd be winning in a couple of ways if you act oh, now because yeah. you get the early bird price yep. and you get the threaded mm. the threaded discount. Um, and so you could you could your ticket could be. Uh, significantly, significantly less, less than those who wait. That's right. So, which is the uh, way it is. I say, jump in immediately. Make your plans November eighth through the eleventh. I don't think we said that. Did no, we? we didn't. But if we didn't, November eighth through the eleventh is when the conference is this year. Um, and man, we we want to see threaded threadedites. What's the what? What do we saw? The threaded community, yeah, the yeah, weavers. That, what do we call? Yeah, let's our call community? them the weavers. Let's go in there. The yeah, the, we, the weavers, the color commentary squad, yeah. whatever. We want to see you guys represent. Come up and say what's up to us while we're doing and visiting with folks. Yeah, That'd be awesome. That'd be fun. I, I hadn't even thought it would be great to have folks come up and be able to talk to them and hear from uh, the listeners and engage. So, man, good stuff. I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Uh, put that down on your calendar, November 8th through the 10th. All right. Now let's get back to the show here. Uh, so, you know, we have our, for many of you who follow us in some of our socials or even as we talk about it here is we, we put out a, a, a link that we want you guys to, to utilize, which is we are threaded, uh, org slash questions. And that's where people kind of throw in either anonymous questions or they put their name on them. But, uh, uh and every now and then we kind of go in and, and we'll take a few questions that we have seen, maybe some questions we've seen over and over again. Uh, and just rock them out here. And so we'll do that. Maybe deal with some other stuff. So today's just going to be fun. It's going to be us talking about it. So, uh, yep. so let's see, let's see, what, where do we want to start here? Uh, okay. Where to begin? Where to begin? This is an anonymous question, but it's one that I felt like we've gotten in some form or fashion a couple of times lately. Okay. I'll try to just say it and, uh, and, and see if we can follow along. So the question comes and it says, um, at what point do we judge uh, and what metrics do we use to where we no longer consider an African-American who reaches the height of success, like a brain surgeon, a president, vice president, CEO of corporations, um, to where that they, to where they are, there are enough success, success stories that it is no longer considered. Hold up. I lost the question here for a second. Ah, okay. Hold up there. I don't know if Antoine, if you got, ah, there we go. That it's no longer, it's no longer considered an exception, but an integral part of the opportunity set in this country. How do we disrupt the narrative mm -hmm. that the opportunity is not there? So if I can synergize, maybe the question, it's a long question. Um, yeah. What are the metrics we use to now determine when African-Americans have actually achieved enough of the opportunity are, are truly are making, yeah. uh, are, are taking advantage or uh, fully experiencing all the, all the opportunities that America has to offer. Right. How do we, how do we yeah. measure that? Yeah. Uh, and I think, I, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. You know, I think one of, one of my first thoughts on that is before we even answer the question, we have to agree uh, that we should measure it. That is, you know, and, and it's, it seems like a simple statement, but um, some people don't believe it's a problem to even consider. They think everything's fine. Yeah. And so why are we measuring something that that is fine? So um, we have to recognize it's something to to measure, to keep an eye on. Yeah. And and then 
inherent with that sort of quietly stated in all of that is the idea that if something um, needs to be measured, then that means the potential is that it is going to measure out to be good, that everything is fine, or that you're going to find that there, some things are not good. Like mm -hmm. that's the nature of measuring. Like it's either going to be what you expected it to be or an adjustment is going to be needed. And you need to be open to the potentiality that, both of those things will exist. You're not measuring it to affirm your idea only, but uh, but also to to, maybe to determine whether what you're thinking is actually what is. Yeah. And that's the that's the nature of measure. what measurement is about. It's an evaluation. So I think we have to agree that ongoing evaluation is an okay thing to do in the first place. And then we can talk about like how it'll be done. But it's weird. I don't not I'm not sure we all even agree. That it should be done. I do, by the way, but you agree that you know what I'm saying. You agree that? that there should be measurements. I do. I I think that we should be evaluated. Oh. But I just think you know yeah. some people will kill the conversation before it gets started by saying, ah, clearly America is a free country. Right. It's better than all these other countries, and yep. therefore we don't even need to. We don't even need to validate uh, these complaints or or what have you. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely that sense that you know everybody has their all the rights and privileges. What's the big deal? Uh, the more we measure, the more we, you know, kind of give people an excuse not to succeed because they feel like they're a part of the, the quote unquote victim group, if you will. Um, yeah. And and, you know, I, I was I was kind of looking through some of the other questions that we have here. And this one was a very similar one to it that may even make it more clear. Uh, and it said uh, in, a, in a country where the vice president is black and seven at uh, yeah. seven out of eight of the top 10 incoming earning groups are people of color. What evidence would you need to see in order to admit that the claim of contemporary systemic racism is flawed or incorrect? So, mm -hmm. again, kind of in the midst of that, in that question, you kind of feel maybe from the asker, you know what I mean, that they don't necessarily agree uh, that systemic, you know, or the potential is that they don't necessarily agree that systemic racism is actually happening because they're yeah. seeing. Or they're the, echoing that kind of thought. Or they're what? Yeah. Or they're just echo, or or they're, echoing yeah, someone's thoughts. Exactly. Yeah, go ahead. Right, exactly. Uh, and that's because they're seeing all these, there's, there's these, the folks like the vice president, you know, you've got surgeons, all those things that the other question mentioned. Um, and so, yeah, I, but I, I do think that that metric piece is, is, is important. Um, I, I think if I was, if I was thinking through metrics, which is not my normal sort of MO, right? <laughs> Just, I don't always like data. True. Um, but, but if I was thinking through it, I would imagine that whatever, whatever metrics, uh, we were using to show uh, that systemic racism exists, then, then that would be the metric that we'd have to see change uh, to determine whether we whether it does not exist. You know what I'm saying? So you you have these sort right. of things that people throw out when you're talking about inequities. You know what I mean? You're talking about the uh, health inequities, uh, wealth inequities, opportunity inequities, and so. You're, you're looking at, and, and, and one that's really easy to kind of grab, right, is kind of the, the wealth gap, right? So you've got um, uh, Hispanic and African Americans, uh, usually towards the bottom uh, with indigenous as well, but the, a lot of times the, 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 the data shows Hispanic and African Americans. And so you'd see the average African American, let's say, uh, has, a, has a, a wealth, the African American family has a wealth of $7,000, right? And then if you go up to the top of the scale, you'll find our, our white brothers and sisters that are there and their 
average the average white family has anywhere I've seen from you know 115 to 150 thousand uh, dollars of average wealth, right? So that's a gap that we use to measure uh, the possibility of racial inequity um, going forward, right? So that's that's a that's a measurement. So what I would say is the as the the more we see those two two ends coming closer together. Uh, I think would help us to be able to say that systemic racism uh, is not existing, right? And, and and I think it's important, probably too, to recognize that that yes, all in in both cases, you've got the exception and you've got the norm existing in that in that in that number, right? So all these exceptions that they're talking about that are in Black America, right? The the vice president, the the, the surgeons, the actors, you know, the LeBron Jameses, the Oprahs, right? Um, they're represented in that metric of seven thousand dollars of African American wealth, right? They're not. They're not. They're not absent of that. So what that means is that that the majority of other African Americans make considerably less uh, than than Oprah, right? So much less that seven thousand is the median, right? And you're talking about yeah. Oprah, who's is she a billionaire now? I feel like she's gotten to the billionaire yeah, yeah, mark. She's close. If she's, she's not there, she's, she's got to be close. So, so throw in, yeah. throw in Oprah, who let's I think call LeBron's her. A, LeBron, I think, I, LeBron I think just he broke just, a billion, yeah, I think he just broke into the billion spot. So let's put, you got two billionaires in there now, right? And yet every, yet the still the median is $7,000, which means there's a whole lot of people of color, a lot of black people that are not even close to 7,000, right? And, yeah. and then you can go the opposite way, right? If you go up to the very top, and again, we know all the, the rich white people, right, that are out there. We got it. Um, but we also know that the, the majority of poor people in this country are actually white. But even with the majority of the poor, punch, the poor people in this country being white, it doesn't bring down the wealth of white people enough to, to get even close to where black people are. You're still 10, 15 percent, you know, times more than the lowest, right? So... Yeah. So I think, you know, you got to measure it in that sense. And I think that I, I, so again, I'm not a data guy, but I would imagine if I'm measuring the, the closer those numbers start to come together, I think then we can kind of say that, that perhaps the possibility that systemic racism is taking apart uh, is not there. But again, it's not always systemic racism that is determining. Right. And that's, that'd be the first, the pushback is always, well, but this one result isn't always the result of that circumstance or doesn't always mean that systemic racism. <clears throat> uh, but you would have to ask yourself, if there was systemic racism, what would be the results? Right. I have to do this with a lot of people that I talk to because they're like, well, it doesn't always mean that. I'm like, it's true. Yeah. It doesn't always mean that. But but if systemic racism was a thing, what would you expect to see? What would be the evidence of systemic racism uh, of a systemically racist uh uh, yeah, of systemic racism. And those things that would be there, those things are like we've always talked about the smoke to the fire, right? And sometimes, even contrary potentially to popular opinion, not all smoke comes from fire. Like sometimes you think it's smoke and it isn't. Sometimes, you know, as far as an analogy goes, but all fire creates smoke. So if you happen to see some smoke, it's a good idea to check. If there's fire there, right? right? Right. It's just a good idea to check because if there was a fire, there absolutely would be smoke. And so in this scenario, you ask yourself, what would a system, what would the systemic racism 
outputs look like? And then you look at your current scenario. You say, hey, do we have any evidences of that systemic racism, of, 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 what, would, of what systemic racism would produce among us? Mm -hmm. And that should be enough for inquiry. You know, in like as far as an investigation goes, that should be enough for probable cause investigation. Yeah. And you may go ahead and investigate, and it may turn out that you know what, it, that's not the full story. There's more to it to the uh, to to the reasons for these for these outcomes. Sure, and and that's fine. Again, evaluation isn't to prove an idea; is to understand what what reality is. So you have to be willing to accept that it proves it or it doesn't prove it. But you don't get to act like it doesn't exist, you know, or that is absolutely a certainty yeah. without the actual investigation, without the actual measurement. I, I wonder if, and I think we talked about this maybe either with us or with others. I wonder if you have to go back to a time when we all agree that systemic racism actually was a thing and, and yeah. see what the measurement looks like there. Right. Like take these same measurements yeah. as far as inequality around wealth gap and opportunity and all that kind of stuff and go, OK, so talking to the person. OK, so when 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 do you think systemic racism? when do you when can when can we can, when can we or where, at what point in time can we agree that systemic racism was actually going on? Like there was there were systems that were in play that were uh, that were um, really focused on um, highlighting one particular group and minimizing another. Right. And you can go in the 1950s, 40s. You can go clearly back to slavery uh, if you want to. And, and then start to ask the question, okay, so do we see these same kind of gaps there? Yes, we do. Okay, yeah. so that was systemic racism was happening there for sure. So if we're still seeing the same gaps, and we're not seeing the same gaps, but we are seeing still very large gaps. And in fact, there are folks yeah. who would go back to the the, the 1960s, 1950s, and they would they would take those measurements there when we prop, when, when we should be, again, able to agree that there was systemic racism because if there wasn't, we wouldn't have civil rights acts of 1964, 1965, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth, uh, that those gaps have not budged very much at all, which, again, goes into the question of should we now be evaluating whatever these laws are that we're creating that are supposed to minimize these yeah. gaps. Shouldn't we be, okay, are they, are they achieving everything that we thought they were going to achieve? And if not, what's keeping them from achieving that? Even though we do see exceptions popping out, right? We do see, yeah. you know, Ben Carson's, right? And, 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 yeah. you know, Kamala Harris's, right? Like, but. Yeah. But we had exceptions in the past too. True. We didn't have vice presidents That's and true. presidents, but you know, Frederick Douglass is an sure. exception. He's, he's living in a time when, Slavery is a thing, and I realize he's in in the north. There was some slavery still happening in the north. It, you you wouldn't say that Frederick Douglass is your aberration, is your normal, if you will. Um, you would say that he is an exception for his time. Same could be said for W. B. Du Bois and a series of black pioneers, uh -huh. whether they're uh, inventors sure. or writers yeah. or preachers. Mm -hmm. Who these are? These are all people who who, despite their scenario, um you know, achieved a kind of uh, influence that was, you know, aberrant to the, the typical black uh, station in that particular time period. I was looking at a video the other day. There's a there's a basketball uh, player who he's on a high school. He's on a high school um, high school team and and he's kind of being featured. 
but he's really he just has one arm like he's got one arm yep. and the other one he's got a really short limb and and this guy is like playing amazingly like he's 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 stealing people's ball he's scoring the basket you know with one arm he's blocking shots with one arm he's very athletic got a lot of agility um and i'm not sure that any of us despite seeing the video of this young man who was absolutely like playing basketball amazingly um, let's just be clear he doesn't even would the say, fact that he's playing basketball at all right like you're saying he's playing amazing right. the fact he's playing basketball at right, all that, right yeah, right yeah. well he yeah, because it's it's only going to get your attention if he is exceptional. Like if he were playing, but he wasn't that good, you it would that, that on some level that would be what most of us might say. Well, yeah, it's it's tough to play basketball with one arm. Yeah, you know, um, and it would make sense to us that you know it that he would it'd be tougher. Yeah, the fact that he's excelling at that makes him an exceptional story. But none of us would go and say, well, clearly. You know, anyone born with one arm, uh-huh. um, they don't have the, the same. They they don't have more challenges to overcome in in being a basketball player than those with two. Um, at least not yet. We wouldn't say that. And it may be that at some point in the future we learn that 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 works. But currently, we would see that exception just as it is, as an exception. We 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 would see we would see young kids who are who are unfairly good at playing instruments you know i saw a six or seven year old who's like killing the drum yeah, set yeah. i'm like wow there's no way there are people who have been playing right. for years to be able to produce what this seven-year-old is doing right now these young kung fu you know these i see we see exceptions all around us and that's what they are we don't change our sense of so of normality uh because uh Every once in a while, we we find someone who overcomes whatever the obstacle might be in our minds uh, to to excel at a particular thing, and the black community is no exception, if you will, to that to that behavior toward exceptions. Right? There will be people who who stand out. There always has been. There has been since even amidst slavery, there was that, um, and. Right. Um, and that that doesn't mean it just doesn't mean very much. So I know everyone knows that already, but just sort of pulling in how we look at other exceptional things in our social social climate. Um, no, we we don't particularly change our views uh, about difficulty based on the, the success of exceptionals. Right. But it's a, to your point, it's got to start off with this idea of that there is something to overcome. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, you got to right. agree that having one arm as opposed to two is actually uh, makes life a little bit more, makes basketball a little bit more difficult to master. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And that at minimum, they've got to go and find, find excellence through unconventional means, mm-hmm. you know, rather than the, the, the more charted pathway Correct. of guiding with one hand and shooting with the other, right. you know? Good. Uh, well, l- all right. So let's uh, let's let's move to another question. Uh, I r- appreciate the combo on that one. Uh, this comes also. Uh, let's see. I think this. Yeah, uh, it's an- anonymous. We'll we'll call it anonymous for <laughs> for anonymous. no matter what. Let's call them out. Call, yay! This one. They came gave us from, their name, and we call them out. Right. No, this came from Antoine M. So let's see. I don't know who this is. <laughs> 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 all right, here it goes. It says uh, one difficult concept I have in my discussions around race is the concept of responsibility for the actions of others. 
in discussing the genocide of Native Americans, a line always comes up. I wasn't there. It wasn't me. I didn't do any of that stuff. Yet, we as a country are benefiting from the actions of those that did horrific things against these groups of people. Do we not have a responsibility to those who've been hurt by it? How can I approach conversations with those people who deny this line of thinking? All right. Well. Yeah. Well, it's probably like I've, I have found that people who think that way are, are rarely persuaded to not think that way, uh, to be a little more pessimistic about, <laughs> you know, so I don't know that uh, at least I haven't been successful. I haven't been savvy enough. Maybe I have, and I just, they haven't told me, but I haven't been savvy enough to, to, um, to help someone who I would say to me, that sounds like an individualist, uh, ultimately an individualist way to look at things, uh, that has some merit and some rationality. Yeah. It, it makes sense to say that. Right. And, uh, none of us would, um, would, would call it irrational thinking. Uh, we were talking the other day, but well, what it, what it, I was about to go on a rabbit trail, but I won't. Um, the, 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 um, what it misses is the balance of individual and corporate. And it's not that people need to think purely corporately, but we need to understand that the corporate benefit or the corporate blame, I'll say, is in some ways in, in inevitability. Like if we're going to call ourselves, yeah a part of a group, then we, by extension, have to hold ourselves accountable to that the group's actions. actions mm -hmm. And we get to celebrate the wins of that group's actions. We get to do both those things. Right. We get to say we won the XYZ war, even though none of us actually, even though I didn't actually you didn't find it. Pick up a gun and shoot anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we get to also say that we terrorized this group in the same way, mm -hmm. even though I myself didn't pick up a gun and terrorize uh, anyone. Um, if we're going to actually live into this space where we call ourselves, we get to align ourselves with some, some corporate uh, identity like America, like a nation mm -hmm. or a state like Texas, uh, or even in some ways, um, a race or a, a, a cultural identity. Yeah. You know, I think there's, there's spaces in there. My family, you know, the, 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 even in the nuclear family, you know, um, there are some spaces where those things just have leaking effects on us in positive and negative ways. Um, I don't think we really get to, at least we can't be consistent and, and allow ourselves to um, reap the benefit of the positive and not hold ourselves accountable to um, the negative pieces uh, dealing with the negative. Yeah. And, and it, it seems to scream almost to, again, this, this uh, concept of identity, right? Kind of the identity we decide and the, the identity that we are uh, given um, you know what I mean? Like, and I like yeah. what you said, like there has to be a consistency with it because everybody, again, it's, it's, you know, July 4th, everybody's like, Hey, yeah, you know, happy independence day to America. Right. 
So if you're going to be able to celebrate that, you got to also be able to kind of go, okay, what kind of other things did it take to get this independence? Not necessarily just revolutionary war, right? You may have to go to, you know, World War II. You're, I mean, we are a country that, that we're the only country that's used, you know, nuclear wars, uh, warheads. You know what I mean? Like we dropped two atom bombs on Japan and, and, and I say we, right? Did you hear me say like, we've done it. Uh, I don't get to go, they dropped two atom bombs on Japan, right? No, I say we did it because I've identified myself. I was born in America. Uh, it's the, the country I, that identifies me when I go into the world. Uh, you know what I mean? We've, we've, got, we've got Americans right now who are in other countries in jail trying to get out. And you know what it takes. It's America's going and negotiating to get these Americans out of jail, right? Kind of thinking through the Brittany Grimer uh, 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 case, right, with uh, Russia, the reason why she's getting negotiated with by America is because she's an American citizen. And so that identity, she's loving that identity right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? In some capacity. Yeah. Uh, right. Whether, hopefully whether she likes it when she's here. Right. And I look, I can, I can understand all that. She, she identifies in such a way that the country is trying to bring her back and that's for anybody. So uh, I, I think you've got to take all that into, into account, but, but I think even spiritually though, right. Cause again, we can talk about it very socially and secularly and kind of be like, okay, here's what that is. But I think if we're talking about it from a color commentary perspective, from a threaded perspective that we have to recognize that this is not something that just exists in the halls of sort of secular uh, sociology, but there's a, uh, there's biblical scriptural, uh, even theological, uh, foundations for some of these things, you know, and I, I know Antoine, you, I, you've talked about, uh, we, we, we don't have to hit them all. Right. But I, I know you talked about sure. some uh, stuff, even in Ezekiel, uh, that you've seen Ezekiel 18. Mm -hmm. I mean, you want to rap about that for a minute and I'll, I'll throw in a few. Yeah. Notes. Just quickly, like Ezekiel 18, 1820 is the verse that most people come and say, Hey, you know, um, guys no longer going to visit the sins of th that. Each person is going to be responsible for their own sin. Um, and uh, and that's usually the verse that most people kind of come to, to, to with the, with biblically uh, to to sort of um, support the claim that, I don't know, that you to don't... punctuate their part their their point of view their point of view. Uh, what's interesting biblically is what happens in Ezekiel eighteen is this story about the example is a story of an unjust ruler or, or basically a just ruler who has an unjust ruler son who then has a just ruler son after that and and what he's saying is the the you know that each one of those rulers are going to be responsible for the actions that they do uh but what makes the just ruler just in the in the latter part of the of the of those three images is that they undo the work of the unjust father you know so the um in in some ways the measurement of how just one generation of leader is, is measured by how he responds to the actions and the situation he's handed to by the unjust generation that went before him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and in that sense, if he wrings his hand clean and say, Hey, I know that they set up, they set up some of these things and I didn't set those things up. So I'm not going to touch that. I'm just going to continue to reap the rewards of that. Right then the scripture seems to suggest that that unjust title gets to move from one generation to the next generation. Mm. It's the actual, un, it's the actual undoing of the exploitation, all the things that's laid out in Ezekiel 18. So while, while the statement is true, what, how, how the measurement of what is just and unjust is, is actually quite clear and relevant um, 
in in this particular scenario so you could go and look at ezekiel 18 i would say this ironically um when you read the ten commandments um in 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 exodus 20 you get where god actually does say he's going to visit the 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 sins of 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 folks on their generation on the third and fourth generations right yeah, so we we really really like the the Ten Commandments. We want to put that up in our in our um, in our governmental uh, judgment halls uh, and courts. Uh, we have to remember that if we're gonna hold on to that, the Scripture shows that God is willing to pass that sin judgment from a, across multiple generations. And this is uh, this is when it's speaking right out of God's mouth. So so what it, what does that mean? Does it mean the Bible is contradictory? Um, Probably not, right? If we believe the Bible, <laughs> you say is probably true, not. Let's you, just go you ahead just and gonna, say, yeah, just gonna... probably not, right? I'm, I'm saying it's sarcastic. Oh, okay. So <laughs> okay, no, just want to make sure. Right. I didn't yeah, know if yeah, this is yeah. one of those. It's just okay, or is it's it good? Okay. I don't know yeah. where we are. No, it's not inconsistent, but you do need to see everything the Bible says about it, right? Right. It's just like the thing before, and we have to watch that God is both willing to judge generations based on the generation before the whole verse in Ezekiel. Actually, the the phraseology that they use is an an idiom that is built out of the Genesis out of excuse me out of the Ten Commandment concept of passing along the judgment from generation to generation, and so they built it instead of quoting the law, they they built the little phrase that they said right, and and Ezekiel's like stop saying that phrase right, and that's the whole. That's the whole cause and, and context of Ezekiel 18. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and he tries to explain it, right? But um, but they didn't pull that up out of nowhere. They pulled that out of the actual the, the actual scripture uh, in, in Exodus. So if you're going to have this concept, thinking about it biblically, if you're going to go to the Old Testament, then you, you just need all of those things. And there's more scenarios, but uh, those are just good Bible Bible references to, to chew on as you as you think through these yeah. these concepts. Well, and I think you can go even more found. I'm not going to say that that's, that's not foundational, but I, I don't know anybody who's, yeah. I, I, there's plenty of people who maybe have not spent a lot of time in Ezekiel, so they may have missed that. Uh, and even if they did, they may have missed uh, fully understanding it. And because so much of the way that a lot of this conversation happens is you have sort of these, these proof texts, right, where people will just grab a piece of a, a, a text or a piece of a text and they'll go, well, this is yeah. what the Bible says. I think I think what's great is if you really practice um, your your understanding and and understanding of, of of how you hear the Bible. If you really practice it by by utilizing the the full meta narrative, the full canon uh, of the Bible as a way to kind of really try to understand things. If you start to look for themes, uh, that helps you, right? And so what we what we see from a theme standpoint is there are multiple stories in which we see this concept of um, people being either reaping benefits or reaping consequences based on the actions of others, based on the actions of those who came before. That theme is, it goes, that theme rolls all the way up to the very beginning, right? At the very foundation of our own. the end. And the beginning and end, for sure. Uh, but at the very foundation of even our understanding of the need for Jesus is the idea that we are born into sin, right? And this born into sin goes all the way back to the sin of Adam, right? And so, what is it, First Corinthians, I think, First or Second Corinthians uh, 15, where it talks about, for it, as in Adam, all die, 
right? So this is something that Adam did that we did not do, but we Definitely now Romans five. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that, and what Adam did, we did not do. And yet we are still held accountable for that. And yet on the, on the opposite side of that is that it says that so also in Christ, all will be made yeah. alive. So what Christ does on the cross is a, we benefit from, although we didn't do it. So again, it goes back to what we were talking about in that we like the benefits, but not the consequences. But again, at the very foundation of us from a, a scriptural standpoint is our, our, our salvation and our understanding of that uh, is based on the idea that somebody came before us and did something and we are reaping the consequences. But then praise God, somebody else came and did something in which we now can all reap the benefits. So I think that's one of the, 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 the key uh, and and real quick, I think something we don't talk about in all of that, you know, so when you hear we hear all that, you say, well, that's unjust on the positive side. We say that's grace, which is fantastic. Right. Uh, unmerited, you know, the unmerited gift of uh, of God to us. Right. But on the other side of that, it's there's a whole slew of reasons why God might inflict the might 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 penalize, if you will, uh, uh, the the generation after in order to uh deal with the sin of the of the of the person one generation and and what have yeah. you and i think it like some of that is the actual learning like some of that is teaching like sure. um you know you know uh it is it, it's designed to stop sin in its tracks yeah. you know you think you think if 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 the sin dies with me but the effects of that sin lives on Right. Someone's got to do something about it. Yeah. And what, what would, in, what would incite them to do something about it? Right. You know, some, a lot of times, uh, some sort of disciplinary act or some sort of uh painful scenario. That's what the exile was about, you know, uh, both in, uh, in both in old and new text Testament, uh, scenarios, those people didn't deserve it. Their, their fathers put them there. That's yeah. what Nehemiah is kind of getting into. Yeah. And so, and so it's it's oftentimes in the meta narrative what God is doing is to bring His people back to a point where they are relying on Him and producing the the outcomes that that He desires, um, and sometimes allowing the sins and the effect and the penalties of the sins of one generation to fall on the generations follow is actually God calling that generation back to Himself and saying, hey, this is this is now what I need you to do. And in, in the big scheme of things, that's a that's a good thing, right? That is hope. That's not hopelessness. And, you know, I don't think that we always uh, can, can take a point of view that really understands that. Well, and, and I do think it's, you know, I, what God is trying to do throughout the, the entire uh, meta-narrative, meta-narrative, if we <laughs> like use that word, that's the third time we're using it, it's over. Uh, the, the, what he's trying to do, what he's trying to do is he's trying to, to make his name great, right, in the world. And he wants to do it through his people. So the Israelites were created as a people not because they were the best, right, or, or they were they were special, right, but they, they get a special responsibility. And part of that special responsibility is to make God's name great and famous throughout the world. And part of the way they do that is how they live, how they govern themselves, how they treat others, right, that kind of stuff. And so God right. wants to, to, to prove himself into the world of who he is. And so sometimes, again, allowing that, those, those things for the next generation to take over, the next generation to take over is because, because there's the people who have been harmed. 
will, if nothing happens, then they won't believe that God is a God of justice. A God is a God of restoration, right? And so what he keeps pushing his people to go, no, you need to do this, you need to do this, because the people you have hurt are, are slandering my name, saying that Yahweh doesn't, doesn't come through. So what he does is he forces it in many ways to come through for the yeah. sake of making his name great to those people who aren't even considered his people, right? So you can look at it, what, 2 Samuel 21, yeah. where you've got the Gibeonites and you've got the Israelites, and something Saul did uh, mm-hmm. was, was an affront to the Gibeonites and was an injustice to the Gibeonites, and David and his reign and his people are now paying for it. There's a famine in the land. And so David's trying to figure out, like, why is this famine here? And God is like, there's a famine because of what Saul did to the Gibeonites. You need to make it right with the Gibeonites, right? And so he has to go and make it right with the Gibeonites for, yes, for, for so that the people of God, the Israelites, will be able to have, you know, the water and food and all that kind of stuff. But even on another level, it's also to prove to the Gibeonites that the God that they serve is a God of justice, and that when his people do the wrong thing, he's going to come and make them do the right thing to, for you, even right. though you may not be uh, think of yourself being underneath the, the 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 covering of this particular God Yahweh. So again, I, I think there's a there's a sense of when people are when people have seen large groups of people experience injustice, and they're going, "Where is God in the midst of this?" For those folks to to continue to sit in that injustice and no justice be done to them, it speaks ill of God. And this is a scary point. I mean, yeah. Taking this yeah, question, it goes back to the point where it started with Ezekiel, with the Ezekiel thing, and yeah. the whole concept is about fixing the in, in, injustice, right? And and the penalty is going to fall on whoever is absent to to the to the answer of injustice, yeah. and 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 that might fall on a on a previous generation. And God stands before He says, "Will you choose my way, or will you choose your father's way?" Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm going to choose my father's way because that has given me this benefit. Okay, well, then now you are unjust. You are as unjust as your father was. You would have done the same thing your father did, right? And and and, and it gets it gets. So I don't think I don't think hardly I don't think anyone is actually uh, paying for the sin of other people. I think they're paying for their own sin as as it relates to their response in some ways to the sins of other people and how it affects them and what role they should be playing in, in, in the midst of it. Now, one of the questions in, in this big question that we just asked at the end, this person asked, do we not have a responsibility to those who have been hurt? Um, and, <laughs> or sorry, do we not have a responsibility to those who have been hurt by it? And it's referring to uh, the actions of our ancestors. And, and even that question is really interesting to me from a Christian standpoint, Right. Do we not have a responsibility to those who have been hurt? And I would say, uh, yes, despite my connection to to whoever hurt them. If I'm walking along the road, this is the Good Samaritan. If I'm walking along the road and I see my fellow image bearer who is experiencing hurt, whatever the reason they're experiencing hurt, what what that particular passage tells us is that we should engage that. Right. The reason the Samaritan is called good. Right. That's not what they call him. He's, he's just a Samaritan comes along. But but we call him good because when he saw hurt, he did something about it. Right. He he, he picked the person up. He invested and he, he made sure that that person was going to be OK. And so I think if and this is, again, probably to the point we were just making in Ezekiel, if we have this next generation that comes along, even though uh, the hurts that we're seeing were caused by generations before us, the fact that remains is that there are these people who are still experiencing hurt. And so for us as yeah. Christians, we look and go, how do I give of myself uh, to, to uh, 
help those who are hurting and help them to, to now get to a life where they get to experience uh, mutual flourishing with us, right? So I, I think that there's a, yeah. a part that has nothing to do with all of this conversation uh, that I think people are, are wrestling with underneath this question is this sense mm-hmm. of fear and, uh, and, and kind of shame. Don't you think, I mean, what do you think about that as, as a kind of. Yeah. Yeah. They're, well, I think they're trying to exonerate the focus is more on, Hey, I'm not the bad person sure, here. You sure. know, they're kind of eliminate that. Jesus, Jesus says the good Samaritan. Right. And, and he's, and he's saying, um, to be the good guy here, you got to do what the Samaritan is doing. Um, and by the way, the Samaritan is not, to, to almost come full circle in a way yeah. for the first conversation, he's not meant to be the exception here. This isn't <laughs> the, per- the good Samaritan is not the, the one in a thousand. Jesus is not giving a parable about this exceptional person. Jesus is saying this should be the norm among Although I'm sure the Jews people. probably thought that was, he was an they, exception. They, they, they were like, so, oh, sure, a good yeah, Samaritan? Like, ah, yeah, no way, that's yeah. an exception. Yeah. <laughs> what an oxymoron. How many of them are you going to find? Right? But but no, but like Jesus is like, no, actually, this is the normal behavior for people who love their neighbor, yeah. to keep it in the context. A lot of people, they don't like the good Samaritan because they, they, they accuse people of taking it out of context. No, it's just, who is my neighbor? How do we know who your neighbor? How do I how do I know I'm treating my neighbor like a neighbor? Well, this is there the is. evidence, mm-hmm. right? And so the good Samaritan is supposed to be the normal behavior of kingdom people. And uh, whether you put the guy there or not, you know, it's kind of on you to uh, do that. Second, also First Peter, it was we've been on that, but there's a verse where he's talking about. He says, "Don't revile, don't return reviling for reviling," um, and uh, you know, seek revenge, basically to paraphrase, he says, but bless. And I, what I love about the verse is he just says, but bless. And there's no qualifier for bless. Yeah. It, it, you know, Peter's verbose everywhere else, but he just says, but bless. And, and in that, in that really what it means to, what it, what it means to be a Christian is to bless in, even in the face of injustice, injustice. So, yeah. That's good. Uh, I, I'm hopefully, I'm hoping whoever that was who put that in there is, is helpful. Um, all right, let's, let's look at, uh, yeah, let's do, let's do one more question and, and maybe, I, I don't know. All so right. we can either do one more question or, uh, we can talk about sort of this, uh, imposter Christianity <clears throat> that has Ooh. been labeled, which, which, what do you think? I'm here for the, <laughs> it was bait. It was totally bait, uh, for you. I knew which one you were going to say. Okay. So we'll, we'll you keep knew it. I was yeah, yeah. Go okay. for that. That's fine. Uh, there, there was an article that came out, uh, again, in the time that we're recording uh, a few days ago, uh, in which a particular news source had this title that was basically labeling, um, Christian. They were, they were doing a, a, a an article on Christian nationalism now really kind of, giving it this title uh, that's more official, but calling it imposter Christianity. So uh, Antoine, I know you read that article. You saw that we, we chatted a, a little bit about like, Hey, did you see this? And uh, what did you think about? I mean, the, the idea of, of the, of a new source covering Christian nationalism. Have we gotten to that point that it's that big a deal? Uh, I think we're getting there. <laughs> See, there I you go again. You can't both. commit to it. It's oh, it's just okay. It's good. Like <laughs> I think we're I, getting we're, there. We're definitely getting there. Uh, 
it's, I can't broad sweep it, but it's 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 definitely what's interesting about it is I often use in in younger in my young adult teaching times, um, I use this example often about a kid with their parent, and um, I I believe that innately every kid has a has a has a fairly good sense about what a good father is right even if they don't know exactly how to do that and so um you know they know that a good father is probably going to correct them even though they hate the correction they know a good father will probably punish them every once in a while even though they really really hate the punishment they know a good father is going to push them get them up when they don't want to get up you know give them chores even if that father even if they hate it the whole time I feel like i should right? sing good good father underneath you while you're no don't do it Should don't please don't right but everyone it. knows but but we all kind of know like if you're a kid you get your report card and you got f's on your report card and you come home and your dad does nothing mm. that might feel good the first couple of times right. you're like my dad's cool i got a cool dad but eventually you're gonna you're gonna say this phrase you're gonna say well my dad doesn't care about my grades Right. And, and his lack of involvement will communicate to you that he's not a very good father because he doesn't care enough about you to challenge you and to push you. Um, I think society is that way about Christianity in many ways. All right. I think that society um, kind of hates that Christians push them, correct them, offer certain types of uh, of um, of what they would say is restriction in their life or what have you. But at the same time, they know, I believe, that Christians inherently are when 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 Christians are Christians, gotcha. that that's a good thing for society, that that's positive. And they know that when Christians are no longer acting like they should categorically, even if they don't understand all the theology, yeah. then they know that it's now an imposter or a to use the analogy, a, a dad that doesn't care, you know. Uh -huh. And, and, um, and I think that, um, I think that that's the way this article is kind of the way I hear it. You're, you've got someone who has a view about Christianity that again, isn't theologically based, but has something to do with value and, and, uh, caring for people and understanding its role in, in, in society. Uh, and they, and they, they believe that Christians are no longer acting in that way, in, in, in that, in that way. And I think that their instincts are predominantly right. Um, and it should signal to us that if, if it takes someone who's not a Christian to call out us as fake Christians and be right about it, mm -hmm. <laughs> then we've probably uh, made some really, really bad steps Yeah, yeah and yeah. shows a really, really tough thing. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard line to walk, right? Because, again, it, it all kind of comes from what the, the expectation for Christianity is from those outside of Christianity. And I think, to your point, most of the expectations that they wrestle with are right on. But I think there's some other things that kind of get locked in or connected into maybe their own feelings or maybe their own uh, desires of what they how they want God to treat them in the midst of their own life that they go, look, because I am like this or because I do this, it must be good because I like it and therefore God likes it. And so when Christians 
uh, you should be supporting this because this is something that God likes because I like it, right? And so, so there, again, there's a line I think that 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 we have to be careful of. Uh, but but I will say that in a in a society in which I'm continually seeing, um, in particular right now, um, this sort of animosity pushing against Christianity, which I'm not afraid of. Don't don't hear me saying that. Um, but I am, I am desirous to want to be able to communicate the gospel well to people. Uh, and so when people feel good about Christianity, they're much more open to hear the gospel as you preach it and hear about God. And so I like a society that's feeling good about Christianity so I can communicate the gospel to it a little bit easier. Um, and I feel like the society has become much more, um, uh, they're, they're not as excited about Christianity. But so, but so when I see a, an article that calls sort of Christian nationalism, an imposter Christianity. And I'm in agreement on this. I think that that any Christianity that kind of pulls a caveat in together, a sort of descriptor uh, that has to do with being associated to a particular nation, uh, I, I think that that is, it is going down the road of whether it's an imposter Christianity. It's definitely a Christianity that is, that is not um, adhering to all the aspects of this kingdom idea that we've been given. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you know, and I don't want to go too dramatic with this, but you know, the Ku Klux Klan is a Christian organization, right? Uh, and I would think many people would go, right. there's probably people in there that are doing things that would be st- stereotypically Christian, but there's a large section of their motivation and understanding that are not connecting with the, the theology of who God is, the nature of who God is and what he wants. White supremacist theology is the same way, right? So a, a, a nationalist uh, theology and one that's open and saying, I am claiming this, uh, is a problem to the to the validity uh, of, of what Christianity is and therefore the credibility of Christianity to the world who can who who in some ways are better at seeing um, our faults uh, uh, than we are yeah you know so and we're more ready to see it yeah, too. that's they, that's they why that's what makes them better it, right? right they are yeah, they yeah, are they like, are looking for it you know do you see it or are you right. looking for it well it's you know some people just right. see stuff but some people are just looking for it. Uh, and and I, and I think Christian nationalism gives them a, an easy thing to see um, because they recognize that too. So, yeah, yeah. I mean that. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a huge conversation. And I think whenever you know, there's a passage in <laughs> again. I'm in I'm in First Peter right yeah, now. Yeah, go so, for it. But there's a there's a there's a verse in First Peter that that says he's instructing them how to respond to uh, being exiles. You know in um politically disfavorable circumstances as christians and he's laying out how to respond to that and there's a it's a whole list of things but one of the things he says is to uh i think the esv version says something to the effect of um uh keep christ set uh to keep christ holy um to keep christ holy or to sanctify one of the verses would say sanctify christ in a sense, in your life. And what it, what he's saying with that language is to set Christ apart from cultural behavior, cultural norms, cultural um, practices, because Christ is going to push you in ways sometimes that goes completely against what your instincts, your individual or your corporate social instincts would tell you. And he's trying to get them to really lock in on what whatever God is doing at that moment with them, even if they're in this politically disfavorable circumstance. And I think what we're talking about is, is a similar thing. Christians, I think we do ourselves a disservice uh, when we try to drag Christ into our scenario. And in that sense, kind of 
not setting him apart, mm-hmm. but kind of blending him into right. our social context, whether it's ethnic or nationalism or wherever, instead of setting Christ apart from all of that and submitting to whatever God is asking us to do at a given moment in, in, in a given scenario and, and being completely into that. And it's, I can't think of a place in scripture where he is, um, where he has, where Christ calls his people to a nationalist way of responding. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it's always the opposite of that. We just talked about that with, with oh, well, you and I talked about that, about <laughs> uh, loving your neighbor and, and blessing instead of reviling and all those sort right. of things, right? And it's always counter a little bit different than what we would think we would we would do, right? And it's and we would we often lose that, especially when it comes to social and political scenarios, especially in a place like America. For many people who feel like America was, in their mind, founded on Christian principle, and uh, credit much of America's prosperity to Christian ideal, uh, the practices of Christian ideal, um, Chris, Christian ideals, and and then to feel like, oh no, we're losing Christianity is losing its favorability in this country. Therefore, we're losing ourselves as an identity and we should fight for that. And it's easy to be drawn into that. But I think scripture actually calls us to embrace revealing who God is, even in politically disfavorable circumstances. And it's going to mean that we behave distinctly, differently uh, than the way society expects us to the degree. I'll say this and I'm done to the degree that when you get to First Peter three fifteen, where he's like, "Hey, be ready to, you know, give an apologia, an explanation for the hope that you have." You know, he's not talking about getting into apologetic arguments about whether how how young the earth is. He's saying, "No, be ready to give an explanation for the hope that you have in the midst of these." politically unfavorable circumstances where you're blessing people instead of reviling them, where you're loving them instead of hating them, where you're behaving as believers behave with humility and uh, with, yeah, with humility and a tender heart instead of, instead of responding power, meeting power with power in that sense. He says, and then you'll have this opportunity to actually be the witness so people will get to ask you, wow, I don't understand how you can take that. I don't know how to understand how you can love like that in the midst of this craziness. And then he says, be ready to give the explanation for the hope that you have, the living hope that he talks about in First Peter. So that doesn't sound anything like Christian nationalism. <laughs> Everything I just said yeah. doesn't sound anything like Christian nationalism. And um, Christian nationalism sounds like the opposite. We meet power with power. We, we revile those who revile us. We don't bless. We take over. We make sure we hold the powerful position. Uh, we insist. We control. And um, those are not the. Those are just not. No, those are not imperatives that I find Jesus ever giving his people, whether in times of uh, of of political uh, favorability or persecution. Yeah, and I think it's important for all of us in the midst of it, right? Because so much of what. I think the devil is trying to do is to try to create a divide amongst Christians, right? So even even though, yeah. I, as as you read the title of the article, right, the the, the, the imposter Christianity, um, there's an opportunity for us if we're not careful to start to subdivide ourselves and to go, aha, yeah. ah, there's my 
I'm not the imposter Christianity. That's the imposter Christianity. Yeah. And now this division that the devil is so strongly trying to create amongst us is becoming easier to do where, uh, you know, the Bible is very clear about, you know, the, the unity of the body, right? You, you, first Corinthians. I feel, like, I feel like you're a first Peter. I'm a first Corinthians. I don't know why. Uh, but uh, first Corinthians is, has this whole narrative. Because they're saying the same yeah, thing. Yeah, Paul's yeah. trying to tell them that. In, he's telling them that in Corinthians and yeah. Peter's telling to tell these guys, but it's the same, it's the same message. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and Paul is sitting here going, you know, the I can't say to the, uh, I think it's uh, the I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. You know what I mean? Like we, mm-hmm. we, we need each other. So, the, so even, even, even though I agree, I disagree uh, with uh, many of the approaches that say those who would, who would um, subscribe to Christian nationalism, um, many of them, if I can, I can say it, I know sometimes it might be hard to say, I think I'm going to see many of them in heaven with me. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, they are still part of the body, and for us to try to dismember ourselves from them actually hurts the body as a whole. Uh, I think I think there's times where, if I can say it like this without sounding too sort of uh, egotistical in a sense, I think there are there are times in which parts of the body get an illness, uh, they get a virus, a sickness, an infection, and I think nationalism inside of Christianity is an infection of Christianity, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily make uh, Christianity go away. It's just an infection inside of the body. And so we mm-hmm. have to try to figure out what are those antibodies, what are those things that are going to come in and kind of tear that down. And I think scripture is such a great uh, antibody to those thoughts if we actually approach scripture, mm-hmm. not from a, a sort of, again, the, the sort of proof texting, but really looking at the, the full canon uh, and, and really being able to think through uh, mm-hmm. what God is saying, not not just biblically, uh, what what's happening, but really think theologically. And that is to say, instead of just pulling scriptures out and going, look what this means, to really think about it in the nature of God, theological. This is a, a big distinction for you guys who are listening. You're going to hear people talk about, well, biblically it says this, well, but, but theologically is where you should be starting from and let the Bible kind of engage with that. Because uh, there's going to be plenty of people who will find stuff biblically and say, oh, it tells me to divorce my wife, right? And you go, but yeah, but theologically, God yeah. created marriage to be a, an expression of the yeah. relationship between him and the church. So clearly that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, and so I think this is in the same way that you're talking about it very theologically, Antoine, in that God is really trying to create uh, on this planet. He's trying to create a people um, that would mirror him and his 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 government, if you will. He is trying to create a people that would... Uh, to, to model injustice for him. But that kingdom is not one that's to be established here on earth as far as a national kingdom with flags and, and, and pledges and all those kinds of things, but, but it's to be a representative of another kingdom. That's why we are called ambassadors here on earth. Uh, we represent mm-hmm. another kingdom, and we live here in this nation as ambassadors trying to uh, come and, 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 and show people what, what the, the true kingdom looks like. And that kingdom, if it is here, it exists within the church and the body of Christ, not necessarily one that's to be mm-hmm. put over all the world as a whole. So uh, these are these are these are these are kind of the convos, and and um, and so I, I say all that to to recognize that I, I don't get to separate myself from these these Christians, right? They, right. they still are my brothers. I and love sisters that. It's in Christ. It's such a good word, you know. Again, back in that just a blasting last Peter reference, and then <laughs> I'm sure we're, we're about to wrap up. But right there in that same section, he starts with have unity of mind again. The, it's it's uh how do you respond to as believers in an in an in an in a political scenario where you don't have the power and it's unjust? And he starts with have unity of mind. 
among the brothers. Then he says, love the brotherhood. And now those are the two things that we exactly what you're talking about. We got to be together. We got to love each other. Right. And then he goes into some of these other things that you, that you do, but you're, but you're right on. Yeah. Well, man, it's, uh, it's good. I, I enjoy these episodes. I like, uh, kind of grabbing some stuff from, uh, from the, the audience and I do too, to man. I like you guys should bit. submit the questions, get the questions in there, man. That's right. Um, That's right. These are fun to fun to fun to play with. Yeah. So if you want your question read uh, during the show, just go to wearethreaded.org/questions and you can put your question in there. And again, it can be anonymous or you can put a name on it. But as you see, uh, we we didn't necessarily throw the name on it uh, as well. And these questions go for uh, for us here at Colored Commentary, but they also go into our monthly community conversation that we have, which is the third Wednesday of every month on our YouTube page, right? And if you have not gone to our YouTube page, uh, you can now find it just by putting threaded in there. It'll pop up, go in there, subscribe. We want to get our subscribers up to that a thousand marks so that we can turn this into a fun, fun show for everybody. Uh, not that it's not fun now, but we love doing that live conversation every uh, third Wednesday of the month. We get the questions right there with you. We chat about it. We got some other ladies that join us to kind of help us do that. So make sure you get your questions so that you can be a part of these grab bag episodes as well. Uh, and also, don't forget, we've got our Mosaic Conference coming up November 8th through the 10th. And we want people to be there in person. But also, if you can't make it in person, uh, you're going to be able to jump on with us, your hosts of Color Commentary, leading the virtual session and the virtual conference as well. So if you buy your tickets, go to Mosaic, and that's with an X, mosaicsconference.com. And you can put in your promo code THREADED. T-H-R-E-A-D-E-D, and that'll get you a 20% discount off of your tickets, your group's tickets, whatever you want to do. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. So make sure you do that as well. Uh, We're so glad that you are here and a part of Colored Commentary. We love, 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 love having conversation with you guys. So let's keep the conversation going. We are called Colored Commentary because we recognize that as we go out into the world that we all look, look through different colored lenses Uh, And it's easy to just stay in one perspective and one lens, but we want you to go out into the world and not just look through one lens, but we want you to stay colored. You have been listening to Colored Commentary, powered by Threaded, a biblical reconciliation organization. To find out more about Threaded, check out wearethreaded.org. And to join the show for live recordings and other events, subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out at coloredcommentary.com.